Hey guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio, and this is episode number 38. Uh, today we are joined by Peter Fitchin, and we are going to be discussing primarily uh, the rate of loss for bodybuilding competitors, both female and male. So um, anyone that is listening to this, this this will really provide a great resource for you to know not only when to start your contest prep, but also how to set it up in a format that's going to provide you with the greatest level of muscle retention um, and also set you up for success in terms of at the end of your contest prep coming out with the least possible damage to you both in a psychological and, and physical sense um but yeah peter super happy to to have you i know that we've been going sort of back and forth on our statuses now and again but it's, it's super <laughs> to have you on and uh how are you today you're good good yeah yeah thanks for having me um awesome. yeah glad, glad to be on i always listen to this so it, it's kind of cool to be on the show oh no amazing well i highly i highly appreciate someone of your level listening in and like i know that a lot of your friends and and sort of colleagues in the industry have, have been on and uh no it's, it's awesome to have you so peter for for the listeners just just give them a little brief background on yourself um what you do how you do it and and sort of also um from the educational side of things give them a, an idea of to, as to what you've done especially with your phd and and the dissertation that you did for that yeah so uh yeah so i guess on the education side of things um you know i i have a bachelor's in biochem uh i minored in nutrition i have a master's in physiology um and i got my cscs after that um, so I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Um, then my PhD is in nutritional sciences from the University of Illinois. And so, um, you know, it, that was a tough program. That was five and a half years after my master's. Um, there, there was definitely some intimidating parts of that. Um, uh, probably, probably the uh, largest, most intimidating part was after your first two years of coursework, you have a, a qualifying exam uh, where you either, it's a, it's a two hour oral exam committee, uh, the chair of my committee uh, was the president of the American Society for Nutrition at the time. Wow. Um, that was pretty intimidating. Mm. Um, and, and, and it was like fair game, any nutrition question, fair game. Uh, I remember at one point I knew I was doing pretty well, like probably three quarters of the way through. She asked me to tell her what I knew about chromium. Um, you know, like it's an ultra trace mineral. There isn't even that much known about it. Um, and so, you know, I knew I was doing pretty well at that point, but yeah, pretty intimidating, but I made it through uh, 11 and a half years of college total. Um, yeah, yeah. And my dissertation, um, so I worked in a lab during my PhD where we studied muscle loss and prevention of muscle loss in, in clinical populations. Uh, you know, when you're doing research, you have to get funded. You know, you have to have money to be able to do research. You have to have money to be able to support grad students and run assays and buy supplements or dietary interventions or whatever you're doing. Sure. And so, uh, you know, you it's really hard to get funding for, um, you know, how to get jacked. Like that that's clearly what my interest is, but there's hard to get funding. So yeah. there's a lot of funding on the other side, prevention of loss in, in wasting and, and clinical conditions. Mm. And so I was in a lab really well funded. Um, we looked at muscle loss and loss of function in primarily in dialysis patients. We also did some work in elderly and MS patients also. Okay. Um, and so, you know, my dissertation was actually uh, on HMV supplementation in dialysis patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we, you know, the results weren't positive. Um, we didn't see any difference. Um, but, you know, it, 
it was six months, placebo control, double blind. We did blood analysis to make sure people were taking the pills. Um, you know, we, we did everything the right way. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it is what it is at that point, but it, it's published and, and um, there's links to all of my papers, you know, either peer reviewed or otherwise on, on my website. So people can go see, see that. Um, but yeah, so I, I have my PhD in nutritional science and then on the uh, bodybuilding side of things, I started competing. I started lifting about 2002 when I was 16. Um, you know, I was, I was about 125 pounds. I started kind of was going to the gym, met some guys who competed. I went from, went from about 125 to about 170 in the first eh, year and a half I lifted. You know, those newbie gains, you know, you yeah. grow really fast. You grow yeah. from literally anything. Um, and so I grew so fast. Some of the guys in the gym were like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're 17, you're, you know, uh, you're young, you're, you're growing real fast, you know, you should do a show with us. And so, um, you know, I, I did all the kind of bro methods and, you know, mm-hmm. didn't know anything. And this was, you know, bodybuilding.com was like in its infancy back then. And that was like really the only source of information out there online. I mean, there wasn't much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I competed in 2004, kind of got absolutely smoked because I wasn't big enough. Um, and so, you know, then, then, it, you know, I, I just got motivated. Like, I really liked it. I just wanted to get better at it. And so I just kept, you know, working and, you know, every few years I competed and now at the, you know, 2012, I, I won my pro card 2016. I did my first pro shows, took top five and all of those and even won a smaller one. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just been 15, you know, years of work to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've dieted down five times, uh, done 10 shows, uh, since 2004, um, I don't know, 2019, 2020 will probably be the next time. I mean, I, I want to make, you know, at this point in my career, I'm, I'm in my early thirties. I want to take, you know, and, and I've been training for 15 years and I'm natural and I'm pretty average in the genetic department. And so I need, I want to make the most of the years I have left of, you know, good years to make some progress and grow here. Um, and not spend them all dieting down to, to, you know, super low body fat levels. But I, I you know, a couple of years, I'll definitely be back out there. Um, and then on the coaching side of things, uh, you know, I, I was always helping some friends throughout school. You know, I, I was you know, going to more and more school related to, you know, exercise, nutrition, bodybuilding, and, and I had done fairly well in the sport. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that too, was I got in working with guys like Lane prepped me in 2006 when nobody really even knew who he was, you know, and I, I got in with some of those guys pretty early on. Um, and so I, I learned how to, you know, and so I, I started helping some friends and then they kept telling more people and I started, you know what I mean? I kind of expanded out and, yep. you know, by the time I finished my PhD, like the last part of my PhD, I was essentially working a full-time job with my business and trying to finish my PhD. And so I think that, that, you know, I think stretched it out probably an extra half a year because, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because of that, mm-hmm. you know, my PhD, but, um, you know, once I was done, I, I had a full-time job and I've been doing this, you know, full-time ever since, which is awesome because, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago what my, my ideal, like, dream job would be, um, it's pretty much what I do, but I didn't ever know that it was the realistic possibility to get, you know what I mean, get to this point. Yeah. And so, you know, I always assumed when I started my PhD that I would, you know, be a professor somewhere. You know, I, I want, you know, go teach at a smaller school, more teaching-based school, be a professor, you know, that focus more on teaching. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what I thought I was going to do. And, and, you know, it turned out this way. And I, you know, like I said, I, I really enjoy what I do. So I, you know, I, I work a lot of hours because I want to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, awesome. Awesome, Pete. Well, yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's like I said, it's your resume is awesome. Not only do you have 
educational background but also bodybuilding background like several years of competing and also having that idea of taking enough time to improve your physique and then com- coming back different and better each time especially since earning your pro card i think you know when some people do earn their pro cards like they're sometimes not ready for the pro ranks and yeah. they step up too early <laughs> but obviously you took significant time off stepped up um and, and placed really really well so yeah i mean awesome yeah awesome to have you on awesome intro for sure um i'm sure everyone knows about you now which is awesome <laughs> um and uh yeah let's crack into things so first off when getting ready for a bodybuilding show we know that the start point is going to be a big factor in where we end up in the in the sort of the end result and a lot of people seem to get this point confused and especially people that haven't potentially competed before so and i asked this to a few other people and other podcasts so i'm definitely interested to hear your opinion but let's take in let's take for example someone who hasn't competed before um how, how do we gauge as to the readiness for this individual to start a contest prep both in regards to sort of uh, psychological issues or or habits they've potentially got with food uh, and also combine that with level of muscularity and condition before starting yeah so i I think there's a few parts to that question but i think you know looking at someone you know who's going to compete for the first time i think it's becoming more and more common people start lifting weights and like the time they start lifting weights that's also when they start dieting for their first show yeah um, you see that all the time and you know you really the end result is you just don't have enough muscle you don't have enough muscle base yeah. and where you see that most common i think the reason it's in that 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 type of thing is you know the frequency of that is increased is because you know they, they made new divisions where they're not you know men's physique isn't quite as big or quite as lean as bodybuilding but it's you still have to have muscle and it's still really freaking lean compared to the average person you know same on the women's side like bikini if you see a bikini competitor in stage weight they're going to be leaner than all the women in your gym and probably have more muscle than a lot of them you know at least the ones that are placing well and so you know i think people think you know see oh they're not looking for as big as bodybuilding and think oh i can do this right away yeah um and you know realistically you need to have some time out of a deficit and you know work on adding strength adding size getting a muscle base um you know in terms of how long, you know, I think it's going to depend on the person. It also is going to depend on what they want to get out of competing. Okay. You sure. know, you know, if, if you want to go in and, you know, just say you've competed, you've made it there, it's kind of just a goal that you're doing. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're, it's just like a one-time thing you don't plan to ever do again. Maybe, you, you know, you can, you know, maybe you live for a year and then you die down and you do a show. If you're looking to really, really be competitive, maybe you, you know, maybe you take several years before you diet down and do a show so that you really have a solid muscle base, um, you know, and maybe, you know, oftentimes one thing I see a lot too, and I know, and, you know, and I'm someone who probably is guilty of this. I competed before I was ready, but I think it was really good experience. Um, you know, and then I could, you know, I, I was only, I had only lifted for two years before I competed. So about a year and a half before I started dieting down, yeah. um, which was, which was too soon. I didn't have enough muscle and I didn't do well, but I, like I said, I think it was a good learning experience to where then I took another two and a half years before I stepped on stage again, sure. you know, and that, that is where I started. I was actually competitive then in novice classes and all right. And, you know, you know what I mean? And, and open, yeah, sure. um, you know, because I took that time. And so I think it, a lot of that depends on what do you want to get out of it? You know, do you, you know what I mean? And, and 
the long, obviously, the, if you want to do better and look better and really maximize progress, spending mm -hmm. you know more time out of a deficit before you diet down is going to be in your best interest. Um, but one thing I would try to avoid is, you know, I don't know if anyone ever thinks that they're ready, like, you know, that, that, that they yeah. have the physique that, you know, I, you know, I, I've done well, but there are still so many things in my physique I want to change. And, you know, you're, I'm going to diet down again before, like, it's, you know, I'm never going to reach my ideal. You know, you're always chasing that ideal. And yeah. um, at some point, you kind of just got to bite the bullet and go for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you can't just, otherwise, you, you know, I, I have, I, I know of several friends who never have competed because they haven't gotten to where they want to yet. And they've been lifting 15 years. Like, you're pretty big, you're pretty strong, you could diet down and compete, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, so at some point, you just kind of got to, you know, bite the bullet and do it. Um, and then on the psychological thing side of things, I know you talked about, you know, eating disorders and things. Yeah. I, I, anytime I see someone with a disordered eating pattern, I usually encourage them not to compete because cool. yep. you, you need, you know, competing is only going to make that worse. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you're going, you know, even if you have a good relationship with food at the start of prep, by the end of prep, when you're super lean, you're, you're going to think about, you're going to be thinking about food way more than you should be. You're going to be hungry all the time. Um, you know, and, and I think one thing coming out of a show that I, I a lot of times use with clients and, and ask them about is, you know, how much are you thinking about food? How, you know, how, you know, is a question I actually use coming out of a show to make sure we've gained enough fat back that we're okay, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it I, I think that, you know, if you don't have a good relationship with food, a good relationship with body image, you know, exercise, um, you know, getting that straightened out first is going to be important before dieting for a show because it's only going to make it worse. Um, and then a lot of times what you see in those situations are people who diet down, get to stage lean, and then they they just stay there. They never like gain weight back. You know what I mean? And then that starts yeah. to have consequences on, I mean, they start looking worse over time. There can be health consequences from staying that lean that long and, and sure. yeah you know you, you don't want to get into that cycle yeah no i i totally agree with all of those points i think i think that more commonly and i don't know whether you've seen this with your clients piece of i'd say that it's more a female dominant idea that they need to get on stage really quick and yep. i think the unfortunate factor in that is because some girls especially over here in the uk are actually winning bikini shows and they don't have great levels of muscularity now obviously to make it to sort of the ifbb pro stage and things like that some of these some of these girls are really impressive in terms of the level of musculature that, they, that they've got and the balance and and sort of the genetic factors that in, influences that as well but i do think and i do see it it's like they're almost motivated by the idea of these like instagram accounts etc that that are, are really like girls that haven't been lifting for very long, but, but have some yeah. glute development, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would agree. I, I've definitely seen that. And I've definitely, I feel like a lot of times I end up talking more people out of competing than into competing yeah, <laughs> um, or, or just pushing back like when they compete. Um, and, you know, I would say that, yeah, there, I think it, you know, in, in amateur, you know, bikini, you can see people, you know, some people are more genetically gifted, sure. you know, they haven't been lifting that long, sure. they do really well, really quick. Yeah. Um, but when you get to the pro level, most people, you know, most people who do well there, you know, 
the, you know, pro bikini, natural pro bikini, like they have some muscle, they've been lifting for a while. Like oh, it, sure. it's one of those things where like, you know, yeah, maybe you can do all right to a point, but like, you know, you you got to put in some more time before you be competitive as a pro. Like I don't, yeah. I don't really know of any bikini competitors who have only been lifting for a short period of time who, um, really do well as a pro you know yeah, sure sure they'll have taken sort of multiple off seasons and yeah and, and i think you know what i've seen uh, learning the bikini category myself more with clients that i coach and and also watching online like the presentation side of things seems to be a, a huge criteria key yeah. in terms of um separating sort of the people that get like fifth call out to first yeah. call out and obviously there's, yeah. there's huge amounts of people competing so it's just this separation of, of athletes that i guess you need to really nail and that comes with experience but um yeah. let's take an example because i know this is quite prevalent again in the industry um, especially with bodybuilding clients. Let's take an example of, of you getting an email off someone saying, I, I want to get in shape. Um, I want to do this show in you know, 25 weeks time. Let's say they have like a decent amount of time. So they, they've looked yeah. at content and they've, they've realized that a longer prep is probably ideal for a natural competitor. And they say, I want to do this prep, but they're pretty far out of shape. And yeah. you know that they're pretty far out of shape. First off, how would you determine that they're out of shape? What sort of data would you get from them as a client um, when they're signing up or going through your sign-up process? Yeah. Um, and then what would be your concurrent advice when someone mm -hmm. comes to you sort of out of shape, wanting to get in shape for a show? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the thing that I would, I mean, I require pictures. So, I mean, that would, yeah. you know, that's a pretty good indication right there. But pictures, body weight, kind of what they're currently doing, you know, are they really lifting hard or their entire body or, you know, how much cardio are they doing? You know, are they someone who's doing already doing like six days a week of cardio to, you know, and they're just eating a ton of food or, you know, what's, what's going on? Why are they, you know, there? Um, and so, um, you know, I think that's the first thing. And then how I would approach that, you know, if I saw someone who had a lot of weight to lose there, there's a couple different things I would probably do. Um, one is, especially if they're a first time competitor, you know, a lot of times for first time competitors, you don't know, even if they're not way, you know, over stage weight, you don't really know how their body is going to respond. You don't really know where stage lean is. You don't know how psychologically they're going to handle it when they start getting to the really uncomfortable part of prep. They've, they've never been there. Yeah. And so, um, as much as you can tell them how bad it's, you know, can, you know, deep in prep, it can feel and be, they've never been there. So they don't know, you know, and you don't, it, you, you got to experience it to know what, you know, you know what I'm talking about because you've been there, but you know, if someone who has it, you can explain it to them, but until they've been that lean, they just don't know what it feels like. Sure. Um, and so for all those reasons, you know, I, a lot of times like to have someone start off like for a first prep, if they can just start dieting, like yeah. let's just start shooting for steady loss, a reasonable rate of loss. And then once we get you closer to stage lean, let's pick a show. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I even take that same approach for people who have competed before but didn't get lean enough the last time. You know, it, because if you don't know where stage lean is, if you have the freedom to have like multiple show options, you can you can kind of make sure that you're ready and then pick your show based on you rather than, you know what I mean, being forced into a show. So I actually did that my last um, season for my first pro shows because I knew I'd have to get you know leaner than I'd ever been to you know, you have to have striated glutes on a pro stage pretty much, sure. you know, at this point. I mean, that's, that's how natural bodybuilding is at this point. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I needed to be leaner than I'd ever been to be, you know, competitive. Yeah. And, and so, um, 
you know, and so I basically started prep. I worked with Cliff for my prep this year and we started, we started, you know, prep and, and I just had a number of shows. I had options in April all the way through August of lat of 2016, you know? Wow. Yeah. And so that way, no matter, I had like one or two options a month mm-hmm. and I knew I was going to do a couple of shows, you know, when I was ready mm. and whenever I was, you know, and I'd be ready somewhere in there. And when I was ready, I, I did, you know, I ended up doing three shows in a photo shoot over six weeks. Mm. Um, and you know, and, and did base that, you know, based my shows on when I was going to be ready. Um, and you know, a lot of times if you can, I've done that with clients and the clients that can do that and have the flexibility in their schedule, you know, and, and live in areas where there are shows options like that, um, you know, within a few hours of them or whatever, that can be a great option. Mm. Um, you know, because you're worrying about the person rather than trying to fit them, you know what I mean, to a specific date. So that's one thing. And I think another thing I oftentimes do with someone who has has a lot to lose, maybe someone has 40 pounds to lose to get stage lean. Maybe we drop 20, 25 of those pounds, almost like reverse diet, take a diet break, you know, for a couple months, you know, kind of just hang out at like halfway there and then go the other half, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, that's an approach I've used with a few clients also, and it, it works really, really well, you know, if, if they have time. And, and so all of this comes back to time. I mean, if you have more time, you know, you can, you know, if you don't have that set date and you're, you have some options, you have more time and you can do, you know, do some of these extra things to make prep more doable rather than this absolutely miserable, like, you know, yeah. experience. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, I think the idea of having diet breaks and, and sort of separating the process up a yeah. bit, a bit like how you'd periodize your off season with like, massing yeah. phases and mini cutting yeah, phases, and, yep. makes it psychologically a little bit more, uh, I guess, bearable comparative to yeah. just this long slog of the fifty pounds to come off. Like yeah. it's like having no breaks. Um, yeah, so yeah. I definitely think that's that's something that's gaining popularity now that that maybe wasn't so popular in the past. That sort of the uh-huh. diet break idea. Um. So when like when someone sort of got a show date in mind that you know like you said the idea of obviously having several show show dates is great, but a lot of people will say I yeah. want to do this show and that's it and that's gospel, yeah. and especially in the UK, you know I'm imagining in the US you you have slightly more federations you have a bit more options. Yeah. We have sort of two or three federations they're sort of like the options that you have are really there's lots of them but they're all in different places so you have to do a lot yeah. of traveling if you want to just sort of decide on the day um yeah. so if someone had a determined date how would you go about setting out enough time so this really comes yeah. down to obviously like determining the rate of loss how would you determine yep. that and how many weeks would you give per how much they have to lose yeah. So, you know, ideally you're, you know, if you, you're going to want to be probably shooting for somewhere between a half a percent to a percent of body weight a week. Sure. Um, you know, if, if you're like overweight, you know, and way above stage weight, maybe you can get away with like, you know, over a percent, maybe up to like a percent of a half and a half or something. Like if you're, you know, if your stage weight's like 170 and you're like 250, um, you know, you could probably get away with, a little bit quicker rate of loss at least would, at first would, yeah would you do that at first yeah sure yeah at first um you know if someone gets leaner i would like to not have to um you know increase their rate of loss sure. um and so you know a lot of people's what happens in a lot of people's preps you know when they don't give themselves enough time is rate of loss is moving along at a reasonable rate at first a few plateaus happen all of a sudden they're behind and then rate of loss picks you know has to pick up during the yeah 
portion where you really shouldn't, you know, be pushing hard, you know, you, you know, if anything, at least keep the rate of loss the same, not faster, you know, yeah. like, you know, slower may even be better, but, you know, not faster. And so, um, and so, you know, if you're looking at like a percent of body weight a week, you know, you know, for a guy, I don't know, that might be like, you know, for a guy, maybe, I don't know, pound, pound and a half, two pounds, you know, some, somewhere in there. Mm. So half a kilo to kilo a week or something like that. Um, depending on the person and their size and where they're at in prep, you know, the leaner they are, maybe closer to the lower end. Cool. And for a female that might be, you know, half a kilo a week or less. Yeah. Um, you know, pound a week or less, um, if, especially if they're really small, mm-hmm. you know, if they're one of the five foot tall under a hundred pound on stage females, I mean, rate of loss isn't going to be very quick. Sure. Um, and I mean, for them, oftentimes intake has to get pretty low also just cause they are so small. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but so the way I would probably, you know, look at it is, all right, so if we're going to look at prep and I don't know, I have someone they're going to prep for a show and they have 20 pounds to lose, and we want to do about a one pound a week average rate of loss throughout prep, that means we need at least 20 weeks, just assuming everything goes perfect. But then, you know, you're going to have plateaus along the way. So there are going to be weeks where loss is going to be slower. Um, We may also want to do, take some diet, a diet break or two along the way. So there's extra time needed. Um, you know, maybe we, if it's someone I've never prepped before, or maybe it's their first show, maybe we want to be ready a little early to do a mock peak or to, um, you know, reverse diet into their show and add a little bit of food going back in, you know, in, cause that typically helps fill someone out. They, every time pretty much I've ever done that, the person looks way better on stage. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, rather than crashing in and being depleted going in. And so, you know, these are all factors where the more and more time you can give yourself, the more and more of these type of things you can actually do rather than just having it be this straight diet shot that has to be pretty quick. And so, yeah. you know, if I have someone with 20 pounds to lose, we want to lose a pound a week, that's, you know, at least 20 weeks. We'd probably be looking closer to 30 just to, you know, 25, 30, just to have time to do some of those extra things and have the flexibility, you know, um, to have a diet break if they need it. Something comes up in life. Maybe, maybe there's a week where something comes off, comes up in life and, you know, maybe things are a little bit off. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, we, we want to do a mock peak for a week. There's a week we're not seeing any loss or, you know, you know, things of that nature. Maybe, maybe I'll, you know, just things like that. And so we want to, you want to make sure you have more time because it's going to also make it less stressful. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be stressing that you're behind, you know, and, and you don't want to, you don't want to set yourself up, you know, for an example of 20 pounds to lose 20 weeks, you're going to drop a pound a week. You know, if you drop a pound a week for the first five weeks, you have 15 pounds to lose at 15 weeks out, but then you don't lose that next week. Well, now you have 15 pounds to lose at 14 weeks out. You know what I mean? It's a rate of loss that you got to make that pound up somewhere. And so, you know, rate of loss starts creeping up there. And so you got to give yourself extra weeks, you know, assuming that there are going to be plateaus and you, you may want to take diet breaks and maybe things come up and maybe you want to do a mock peak. Maybe you want to be ready a couple weeks early and add a little bit of food going back in, you know, and, and the more of those things you want to be able to do along the way, the more, more extra weeks that you're going to have to add. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that sort of side of things. And from a, from a, from a rate of loss perspective, you know, you mentioned sort of the, the one pound or the zero point eight to zero point uh, sorry zero point five to percentage of your body weight per week. Yeah. Now, what's the for the listener? What's the rationale behind that? And what's the rationale versus losing it at a quicker rate? And like, 
discuss if you want also as well obviously the research that has been done into this and sort of why yeah. why why are we doing this why are we controlling rate of loss yeah so if you if you look at the re- so the the main probably reason is muscle retention mm. um you know it, if you look at the research of someone who's natural and has been training a while diets quickly um and and you know Training a while, like we said, you know, you should be have been training a while before you start prep. You know, you shouldn't just be a new lifter. Yep. And so, if you've been training a while, you're natural, and you diet really quickly, you're you're going to see more muscle loss. There's more lean mass loss, um, especially as you get lean. It seems like that. You know what I mean? It 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 could be that you need to drop even slower to not see that muscle loss. And so, the biggest thing I think when you know throwing out numbers with rate of loss and things is you could always go slower than a half a percent a week. And, you know, but then it starts becoming how long do you want to be in a deficit, you know? And so I think it, it's about striking that middle ground where, you know, you're, you're actually progressing, you know, so if half a percent to a percent a week is fast enough. You're actually losing and progressing towards that goal, but you're going slow enough that you're retaining, um, you know, muscle. And, and I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And I know, um, you know, in our, our review that we did, a, I did a couple years ago with Eric and Alan, um, Eric wrote that section, I know, but um, on, on rate of loss, but, you know, looking through the literature, I, I would agree with him that, it, it, you know, about a half a percent to a percent is probably a good rule of thumb for, you know, for, for someone shooting for, you know, a prep with, you know, closer to that 1% range looking, you know, at, you know, at the, maybe the early stage of the prep and maybe closer to that half a percent range in the later stages of prep when someone's lean, so long as they give themselves enough time, you know, that, that a lot of times becomes the issue that, you know, if they don't have enough time, it's going to have to be faster than that in the later stages and that may cost them some more muscle. Awesome. Um, but, you know, looking at case studies in, in natural bodybuilders, there, there have been a, there's only, there's about like four or five that have come out over the last few years, myself being one of them, case studies that have been published. Um, but, uh, you know, when you look at natural bodybuilders during prep, you know, it, it's almost like, it's almost like so far, I mean, again, it, there are too few data points to say this is, a, you know, a, you know, cause and effect, and it's, it's just a correlation. But, I mean, as these studies keep coming out, it just seems to be a really fairly strong correlation between those who are even those who are losing, you know, percent or so a week, um, you know, on average during prep seem to drop more muscle mass than those who are back down around like 0.5 or 0.7 percent on average a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and again, that's average over the entire prep. So there may be you know times that are faster, slower, whatever. But I mean, I think it just gets at that if you're going to get really, really lean and you want to hold on to muscle, um, you know, keeping rate of loss slower um, is going to be beneficial. But then at the same time, you still want to be losing quick enough that you don't spend, you know, a year dropping 10 pounds or, you know, something like that to get on stage because, you know, you don't need to go quite that slow probably. And that's going to cut into the amount of time you can spend making progress out of a deficit after your show. Awesome. Awesome. So when we achieve more than the criteria, so we achieve more than that 0.5 to 1%, what do we do or what would you do as a coach now would you slow up the process or would you be inclined to relay it to the situation in prep whether we're at the start or the finish yeah. um how would you approach that situation of, of going too fast i think it depends on you know a few things so you know if if someone's been eating sporadically and you just get them on some consistent macros that first week they're going to see some water glycogen loss and you know, it, it might be faster than, 
Um, you know, that's not uncommon from water to glycogen, seeing a little faster rate of loss. But once you get past, you know, kind of that initial water glycogen loss, things kind of stabilize, um, you know, then, yeah, you start looking at, well, how fast is it coming off and, and how many weeks in a row are we seeing this? You know, if I see a week, you know, that someone, you know, week or week and a half, it's coming off a little quick. I, I probably don't worry all that much. Mm. Um, you know, as it, now don't get me wrong. Like if we're shooting for one pound a week and, you know, we're losing like four, I'd probably be concerned. But like if we're shooting for one a week and like a pound and a half comes off for a couple of weeks, I, I don't get all that worried. Um, you know, it, we, we got to look at what's happening over, you know, a longer period of time. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of a lot of times I'm inclined to leave things as is. And, and oftentimes it kind of slows down a little bit. But if it doesn't, um, yeah, I would probably, you know, probably pull a little cardio or maybe add a little bit of food back in just to slow it, especially when someone um, is, uh, you know, they don't give themselves enough time to, to prep. And so, you know, if you're short on time and someone's dropping a little bit quick and you don't have a lot of that extra time, um, I'm oftentimes more inclined to, all right, if it's coming off a little quicker, you know, hold things as is. Yeah. Now, if you're someone who gives yourself eight, 10 extra weeks for things like diet breaks and, and whatnot along the way. Sure. Maybe we want to slow that rate a lot. You know, if, if the, you know, if an earlier show is an option, maybe we don't, you know, or if an earlier show is not an option, then maybe we slow rate a loss a little bit and, mm. uh, you know, it, just to keep you kind of on pace. Um, so that you're not ready like two months early. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think a lot of times it depends on the, on the situation and how much extra time a person has given themselves. Um, and, and how much more they have to lose, you know, you know, what rate of loss they're going to have to see to get there, how long they still have before their show, um, how lean they are, you know, all of those factors probably play in. Sure. You know, I think this is all coming back to potentially having the benefit of a coach for the first time you do this, because I think a lot of people will listen to podcasts like this and, and, you know, want to perfect the process. And that's cool. Like, that's awesome that they want to do that. But at the same time, they're likely to freak out when the protocol doesn't go to plan. And we know how how annoying that is for a coach to have a client that's freaking out and let alone yeah. let alone someone that's trying to do it on their own, just freaking out about their rate being their rate of loss being too fast and all their muscle coming off and and then also if they're not making progress, they're gonna be stressed that they're not on track yeah. and obviously having a coach yeah. to say to sort of listen, this is the plan stay stress-free and you're going to get there um what about on the other end peter so on the other end of um when someone isn't losing at the rate that we want them to lose uh, what would we do and and how long would we allow these changes to take effect yeah so um you know i i like to look at things in terms of averages i don't like looking at one day in isolation and so you know a lot of times you know people will kind of freak out if the scale goes up a couple pounds one day i don't care like it's going to go up and down a couple pounds like you know I'll, I'll get emails from people excited that it went down two pounds in a day I, I don't care it's one day like you know it's yesterday to today I you know what what matters is over a longer period of time you know because you're going to see this you know it's going to fluctuate you could do the exact same thing each day and your weight's going to do this um, and so you know what you want to look at then is not what's happening from day to day because all you're doing is you know seeing this, but what's happening from week to week or you know longer periods of time and on average and trends and things like that. So you know five, you know what happened the last five, seven or ten days versus the previous five, seven or ten days. You know something like that on average is your weight going down? 
Um, and that's a really good indication, you know, of progress, you know, if, you know, so you, you could weigh yourself on the same day each week, you know, maybe today is Wednesday. So if you weigh yourself today, uh, you know, and then you weigh yourself next Wednesday, um, you could actually weigh half a pound more next Wednesday, but your average for the week could be down a pound, pound and a half, and you could have a great week of, you know, loss, sure. um, be making some great progress. And so it's important to look at, you know, not just one day, but averages and trends over longer periods of time to tell the whole story. Absolutely. And so if I see someone who, you know, if we have, you know, if you have, if there's, if there's not any ex external circumstances that might be affecting loss or anything like that, and you have a week where you don't really see a whole lot of loss on average, I usually make some adjustments to try to keep things moving because, you know, most people don't have an infinite amount of extra weeks, you know, to, to give it another week and wait, um, you know, and if they have time and want to give it another week, I don't mind, you know what I mean? I, it, it depends on how much time do you have. Um, but for most people, you know, if, if, if we're stalled out, you, you have your average this week, your average this week, there's no external, anything that would be affecting that, um, you know, then yeah, we'll make some adjustments. We'll you know pick up rate of loss. Um, in terms of what those are, oftentimes earlier in prep, I probably do a little bit more on the food side of things, um, especially if someone's food's still higher. Um, you know, try to not really crank cardio super high if I can avoid it. Um, and I know this is something I'm sure I don't know if you talked about this with Cliff too, but I know he and I have talked about this a few times that in practice it does seem like if you can get a, do a little more on the food side of things and get away with a little less on the cardio side of things when you're creating that deficit, um, it, the end product does seem to look a little better on stage. And I, I don't know why. Um, I think part of it might be due to recovery. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean that people aren't doing cardio. I mean, basically all of my clients, except for a few outliers, do cardio to get stage. You know what I mean? Like, sure, sure. you know, at some point. But we kind of rely on food more so until we kind of have to add in some cardio because food's getting lower. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and um, and I wonder if part of that, I mean, I want part of that might be due to the fact that, you know, you have interference and, in, you know, with concurrent training when you add, you know, in, you know, cardio to lifting, you see less, you have conflicting adaptations and you, sure. you have less, you know, progress in terms of weights and, and I from some of the newer research it looks like that applies much more to people who are advanced lifters than than beginners from okay. what I've seen okay um, and so you know if you're competing you are a more advanced lifter mm. um, and so I, I saw a review from a year or two ago suggested that um, it was it was you know you don't see as much interference in the beginners maybe even early intermediates but as you become more advanced you kind of that's where you see it um, so it could be partially due to that and partially it could be due to I don't know maybe just the fact that you have more volume to recover from. I mean, I know that cardio, you know, is not the same type of volume, but it's still, you know, you know, it's not as demanding as lifting, but it's still something you got to recover from. Sure. And so, you know, I, I generally try to adjust more on the food side of things first for most people, you know, maybe keep cardio lower. Um, you know, they still may be doing some, maybe a couple, it's just a day or two or, you know, something lower you know, and not really go crazy adding cardio unless I absolutely have to add a bunch yeah. once food is lower, um, just to help them recover um, and, and be able to, you know, because the focus is still lifting and moving heavy weights during prep. It's not, you know, doing hours of cardio, you know, you're, you know, 
And so I, I don't, you know, like I said, I don't know the exact mechanism why, but it's just something I've kind of noticed. I know Cliff has mentioned the same thing. Sure. On on the topic of, of training volume, how how are you setting up things to sort of like ma- maximize muscle retention? Because um, what would you say about the sort of the the idea behind you having to potentially use or utilize less training volume than we actually think we have to use to 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 actually just retain the muscle mass that we've yeah. got. Yeah, I mean maybe, but I you know, I maybe late in prep, you know, someone really grinding, I'll pull volume back a little bit. For the <laughs> most part, I try to keep volume fairly consistent when someone's dieting. Yeah. yeah. Um be, you know, at the end, yeah, I mean they're they're you're when you're really, really lean, you're doing a lot of cardio, food's low, you legitimately can't recover from as much volume. And so, sure. you know, I'm generally getting feedback from people too when we're, you know, when I'm working with training programming during prep to make sure they're, they're still okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for most of prep, I, I really try to keep volume as is because, yeah, you know, you see some, some of the literature suggests, yeah, you don't need as much, you know, volume to retain muscle, but those people aren't, in a deficit and super lean and you know what I mean? And, and you, you gotta, you know, I, I'm, I've seen people who really back off the loads during lit, you know, during prep rather than keeping that heavy load and that volume on the muscle. And it really just does seem like you, you gotta keep that load and that, you know what I mean? That, that volume on the muscle, you can't just say, well, I feel crappy now. So I'm just going to, you know, not go as hard, you know? Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there, there are times to you should absolutely be deloading. You know what I mean. There should be recovery periods mm. and all all of that. But um, you know you still need to tra- train hard to you know even though you feel terrible. You know keeping that load on the on the bar and, and trying to maintain strength. You know during prep, um, which I mean mine tanks so bad at the end. But I mean just doing what I can to you know what I mean to hold strength. Just because my strength's going down doesn't mean I shouldn't still be trying to move. You know progress as I can. Sure. You know and, and move what I. So um, you, you mentioned your your own strength there, which I'm quite interested in, like how that sort of decreases or tanks towards the end. And it does. <laughs> what, uh, what do you see before that, though? Like, like for myself, and I'm sure listeners will be interested, like I've, for, for the most part on, and I'm interested to hear your side of things, my pulling movements and my lower body movements are actually still either retained or progressed i and i'm sort of like at the halfway mark in my body mm. prep my pushes are already declining quite significantly yeah well, what's your experience and, and when when have you seen this sort of quite big crash or dip yeah so i mean for me so i compete in the upper 150s carved up okay. um i'm not very big um and so neither, neither. uh yeah. And so, um, you know, I guess this kind of gets back to, I think that most people have some sort of range of body weight. They can kind of, there's probably a minimum of, of this range of body weight where you should probably sit in the off season. Sure. And you know, that, that bottom end is going to be when hormone levels are, are normal. When you feel good, you're not hungry all the time. You're not thinking about food. You know, there's some minimum level of body fat you have to get above mm. for everything to be normal. Um, for me, that's probably about 50, 15 to 20 pounds over stage weight, you know, and, and it, it's like 175 or so, um, you know, it, it's kind of like my, you know, I, I getting, you know, if I'm 190, 195, I can get down to 175, 180 and see 
very little drop in, you know what I mean? I, I maintain for the most part. I mean, I, I'm doing a cut right now and I, I cut from 196, I'm down to 181 and I'm almost done here. I'm going to stop around 180 or so, but, um, I'm down maybe a rep or two on everything. You know, I, I hit the one, you know, I, I, I down one or two reps on what I can hit for like, you know, six, eight, 10 reps, you know, and that, but that's it, you know, yeah. with, you know, I don't, I don't see much drop, you know, here initially, you start pushing me much below that 175, 180 pound range. And, you know, that's, that's where I start seeing, um, you know, strength drop. And then, man, like I start getting below like 160, 160, 163, you know, somewhere in there. And you start really getting close to stage lean. And it, it's just, it's like my strength goes backwards on a weekly basis. Wow. Like it's, it's, you know what I mean? With those last few weeks of prep, mm. um, you know, like I, I remember, you know, I, I remember at the end of prep, like I, so I, I've pulled what I pulled 475 for five this off season on deads. And, um, you know, and I remember the end of prep, like doing a hard six with 365 at 150, whatever pounds, like, and like, it was hard. Like, but the thing is I was, I could pull 405 for reps again, just after gaining, you know, getting myself even close to 170, I was pulling 405 for at least five reps, you know what I mean? Like just, just that initial 10 pounds, you know, yeah. coming back. Yeah. Um, and it's just that last little bit getting down to stage lean. Like I just, it just, it, it just, I just tank. And I know some people do more so than others. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I know Brian Whitaker has talked about how his strength just absolutely plummets at the end of, you know, his preps. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I haven't heard, yeah. I haven't heard that from Brian, but yeah, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he and I were talking about that cause he and I are, he's always someone I've looked up to cause he's, well, I mean, same he's same. <laughs> he's got he's like the greatest lightweight natural pro ever and he's yeah. super smart and successful in real life and stuff too um and but he and i also are similar size like similar height similar weights in the off season similar weights you know what i mean like yeah. i'm a little bit lighter than him on stage but i'm not a whole lot lighter than what he was when he was my age yeah. um, but he's like 10 years older than me so he's always been someone like all right here's this pro similar structure to me 10 years older that i look at you know i can like look up to and try to progress, you know, towards that type of physique. And, you know, and I, so I, I, you know, I, you know, at Lane's camp, I try to pick his brain because, you know, he and I are, you know, similar in, in you know what I mean? Just similar yeah, size. Sure, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, and he, I, you know, I, he's told me that like at the end of prep, he loses strength all the time. He's like, I know there's guys who don't, but he's like, he's like, I, I lose strength. He's like, I, he's like, I've had, you know, other people have programmed my training. I've done this. I've done that. Like it just goes down when I'm that lean. Yeah, and I'm that, the same way. That is interesting about Brian. I mean, I know that I know that sort of strength will tank in most individuals. Like even some clients that I've had that have shown significant strides in progression throughout most of their prep towards oh. the end, it does take a, a, a definite decline. But I, one thing that I would say on the sort of the Brian side of things is I know that Brian's a huge fan of um, hits. And so, like high intensity interval training. Yeah. What's your opinion on hit and its effects on potential yeah. like, retention of strength? Because I found that I just do not do well on hit apps, like so, not at all. So yeah, that's that's interesting. So I I used to have people do like a crap ton of hit, and used mm -hmm. to always you know you know because if you look at the literature, you know it's it's you know it's supposed to it's as good or better than steady state, you know you know and sure, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, 
as I've worked with people more and more and more, you know, there, there's, I use much more of a combination, okay. you know, I would say of hit and steady state. So there's some limit of hit that someone can recover from like a day, two days, you know, like, like that many sessions, you know, a yeah, week, like yeah. you're, you're not going, you're not going to do hit. I don't know how anyone could recover. Well, there are some people who can tolerate a little more, it seems like, but you know, doing hit seven days a week, like I would just be demolished. No, um, there's no way I'd be able trained. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do legs two times a week, like you know, when I'm doing leg, when I'm doing hit, you know, seven days a week. And so, you know, last prep, I did one hit session a week, you know, and, and the other couple sessions were steady state, now, yeah. you know, and um, and and I kind of take the same approach with clients a lot, you know, much more, you know, lately here where, you know, yeah, maybe they're doing one or two hit sessions a week, but it, you know, we're we're paying attention to the recovery. It's it. There's a lot, you know, we're adding steady state as necessary too. Um, you know, if they need more cardio, because you, you, you can't just do, you know, more and more and more hit, like at some point, like you got to recover. Yeah, no, there's definitely, definitely an upper limit. I think, I think what I've seen, uh, like, like you said, is, is, is very, very individual. Like people have different recovery capabilities for yeah. weight training, um, you know, with hit being so closely matched to weight training yep. in, in the, in the recovery capabilities that it requires, it, it is sort of preference based and that's why sort of giving yourself feedback on okay is this session affecting this session or is it affecting yeah. this session yeah um, yeah so like being aware yeah so like during my prep i would train legs monday and friday and i would do my hit session wednesday you know okay. and then nice you know you know what i mean and, and and i would so basically and i would usually push the sled so it was more of a full body form of it you know yeah. um and but i mean that way i was still trying to break you know what i mean i broke it up and then my steady state i could throw on a couple days with you know, without it affecting things too much. Yeah, uh, sure. I am um, with regards to, and we haven't really talked about it on this episode, but I would like to briefly cover it in, t in regards to macronutrient setup for uh, contest prep phases and maximizing muscle retention. Um, obviously, we, we do know the importance of an adequate protein intake, but I think more of the sort of advanced listener that would be interested in knowing this, what's your opinion on dietary fat and where you would set that, especially with regards yeah. to female versus males, because I've heard Cliff share some opinions on this, and I'm just wondering as to your opinion on dietary fat. Yeah, I, you know, I try, I, I think that it's important to have an adequate dietary fat intake. I think awesome. that, you know, there, there are a lot of people who just, like, they prep for shows, and they eat all clean foods, and you look at what they're eating for fat, and it's like, less than 20 grams or less a day and oh. that's not going to be optimal for hormone production or, or progress or anything like that i mean you you've got to have some level of fat and so there's going to be some sort of minimum and so you know a lot of times you see like 0.25 or 0.3 grams per pound kind of thrown out there as like a minimum okay. um, or maybe like 20 percent or so of calories you know some something in that type of ballpark is where i tried not to go below sure. um you know and then as far as you know, and because I think it becomes kind of a juggling act then because, you know, you know, you got to have ad adequate protein. And so, and protein needs are, if anything, higher when you're dieting than when you're not, especially when you're really, really lean. Yeah. And so you got to, you got to make sure you have adequate protein. So that takes a chunk of your calories away and that, that's a, you know, your calories aren't that high, you know, you're in a deficit. And so your chunk of it's got to go to protein and then it becomes, how do you balance carbs and fat? And so, um, you know, I think keeping fat above those minimums, um, you know what I mean, is, is a good rule of thumb and, and getting away with, 
um, what you can for carbs. I mean, seems to be is is what I would do because it does seem like if you can get away with what you get away with carb wise, you still you have better performance in the gym. Um, you seem to recover better. You you preserve muscle. You spare muscle. Um, you know, and and you know, I I definitely I don't know. I I would say it's a balance more so that, you know what I mean? than one or the other, you know? And so, you know, if, if, you know, maybe, you know, if it's some, someone dieting for a show and it's a, I guess female, male, I, I, I don't usually treat it a whole lot different. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I, it's the same type of approach where I, I don't want fat getting below a certain point. Like I'll try to get away with what I can carb wise. You know, maybe we got to pull carbs back some, you know, maybe in a drastic situation we got to slightly reduce protein some even just to try to get some calories down but yeah there there's a fat minimum i try really to not get below because i want to make sure we're you know it, it's not going to be an optimal prep if we're not supporting hormone production yeah absolutely have you ever used a ketogenic approach for anyone at all uh like whether that be a client preference or or just you as a coach I have not, um, but I will say that with clients, so I have some clients who are, you know, for example, like a female with PCOS or something like that who, sure. who has insulin resistance. Yeah. Um, you know, we may try, we may, you know, have fat kind of down around, you know, 20, 25% of calories like normal. And, you know, she has PCOS, she has insulin resistance. Maybe we try bumping that up to like 35, 40% of calories from fat, which is going to pull protein or sorry, pull carb back, but it's yeah. not really ketogenic. They're still eating carbs. Protein's still Protein's too high. high. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because I mean, a true ketogenic diet, you get, I mean, protein has got to be pretty low. And I think that's the mistake most people make when they, um, you know, when they're like, I'm doing keto now. Well, you're, you know, you need to have like 80% of calories from fat. And, you know, it's actually a moderate, you know, protein because you're going to throw yourself out of ketosis. And so, um, you know, I, I've never taken things to that extreme with a client, but, um, but yes, absolutely. Um, with some of my clients, we, you know, if things aren't really going that well, we, we may, you know, and, and I'm sure that they're, you know, the first place I would go is making sure they're actually tracking everything accurately. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, if I, if it's a healthy client, no, no medical conditions whatsoever, things aren't going well. First place I go is, you know, are you tracking everything accurately? Because, I mean, if you look at the literature and, you know, odds are that that right there is the issue is, you know, you're, you're not reporting something yeah. um, because you see it again and again and again and again. So, I mean, just asking question, question, but, you know, having that dialogue, making sure there is absolutely nothing being missed, mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is important. Um, you know, if that's the case and there's, you know, there's nothing underlying medically, um, you know, then maybe, all right, well, let's. Let's try, you know what I mean? Let's try a little bit higher fat intake. Let's try a little bit lower carb intake and see if it helps. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know what I mean? For some people, it doesn't seem to matter. Um, their intake just has to get super low. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I, it's something I would play around with, you know, assuming those other things, you know, if things aren't going well with what I would consider more of a traditional macro breakdown, you know, you know, there are a couple of things I would check first, if, you know what I mean, before I would, you know, really do something drastic there yeah 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 no um that makes sense completely my final macronutrient question i guess is with regards to protein intake obviously we know when dieting down for a lot of people male and female intake has to get really low to get into con yeah. contest conditioning <laughs> 
how low can you take protein and what what like what is the point at which it becomes detrimental to muscle retention yeah um i don't know i'll start by saying i don't know that the answer to this is completely known so this is just probably more my opinion yeah yeah so the lowest i would probably ever take protein in someone who is so there if someone's extremely lean one gram per pound of protein isn't going to be all that far off of one gram per pound of lean body mass because most of their mass is lean body mass, you know? And so, um, you know, when they say one to three pounds, you know, grams per pound of lean body, one, 1.0 to 1.3 grams per pound of lean body mass is I know what Eric always says based on his, you know, research. And, you know, when someone's really lean, you know, if I could, I would keep it above one, but, you know, a gram per pound is, is probably the lowest I would, you know, if I got to skimp a few calories from protein to make sure they're having adequate fat and maybe at least able to eat some carbs, um, mm-hmm. you know, a gram per pound would probably be the lowest I would go okay. um, in someone who's extremely lean. Um, because again, you know, if you, when you're extremely lean, one gram per pound for you is pretty, you know, isn't a whole lot more than one gram per pound of lean body mass because most of you is lean body mass. Um, and, and, you know, my hope would be that you're not taking things to, you know, having to get to that point until you are extremely lean, trying to get that last little bit off. Like, you know, that, that shouldn't be a starting thing that you have to kind of make that decision on. Um, you know, you, you, you should be able to lose without, you know, it's assuming you have no underlying medical conditions, you should be able to lose, you know, without having to worry about, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess these are these are like drastic measures yeah. with regards yeah. to like dietary fat, ketogenic yeah. and, yeah. and sort of taking yeah. protein I mean, super even, low. Even like, yeah, ketogenic diet. I mean, I, I, I would say that the time that you, you know, I would, you know, I could see a logic in considering using it would be that last, you know, someone whose intake's pretty low and they have just a couple more pounds to get off. It's kind of that last thing you use to, you know what I mean? To maybe try to get that last but I, I wouldn't ever use it really from the starter when someone's too far above. Um, you know what I mean? It, it, it's got it. You know, I, I, that's the one time I could see logic in using the, you know, using it is, you know, right. You know what I mean? Like that last little bit, like if that's that kind of that last thing to get that last little bit off. Yeah. Um, and I know this is something I'm, I, you know, I've talked to Cliff about this too, and I think he has a similar thought on that. And, yeah. and if, if you start an approach that's more drastic like that too soon, you probably won't get there. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and I, I know it's something to talk to him about too, you know, yeah, so I think no, he, absolutely. so yeah, that, that would be my thoughts there. Cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that's partly the reason I ask it is because, um, we, we, we discussed it with Cliff and I've, you know, I've listened to lots of podcasts with both you and Cliff and I, I just, I'm always intrigued as to developing not only my knowledge but also putting out knowledge that sort of other people have and i i love personally i love the idea of people having varied opinions like i I love it when someone has a different approach um and it it just makes things exciting and interesting and, and opens up the doors to to things but essentially what it is the process is can quite easily be over complicated in a sense oh yeah 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 you know and i think you know if you look at okay so you know i did a q a when i was with when i was down at cliffs last month it was john cliff and i did a like a facebook live q a sure. and there were questions where you got three different answers 
um, you know, one from each of, you know, one, you know, that weren't necessarily in agreement. But I think when it comes down to it, I would say that at the heart of it, I would say there still was some agreement. It was just fine details where there, you know, where there may not be, you know, I, I think, you know, most, most coaches who are pretty good coaches would agree on probably 95 plus percent of everything they're doing, you know, because a lot of it's the big picture stuff where we're all pretty much in agreement on that. And, and I think there's a scientific base to support, you know what I mean? Like research is kind of coming out that's showing like, all right, well, yeah, that, you know, there, there's evidence for that also. And, you know, it's, it's that other stuff, the stuff that, you know, it's more like in, in art, like peak week, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think most people agree that, you know, who are educated agree that, you know, yeah, you should probably shouldn't do something drastic. You probably shouldn't cut water or, um, you know, do crazy manipulations. And if you do do those things, you should test them out first, you know, at a couple of weeks out to make sure that they're okay. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think most people would be in agreement on that. Now, how people go about carving up and looking best for the show and, and making that happen, there, there's a lot of, you know, you know what I mean, differences in, in opinion. But I think at, at the heart of it, I, I'd say most people kind of agree on that first part. You know what I mean? First yeah. part. Yeah, you know, like, no, absolutely. I think there's, I think there's a huge like ball of opinion and then there's also uh, just a, hu a huge uh, area of agreement where people yeah. are just, you know sp sort of splattering in with their own anecdotal stuff and yeah and people yeah. people coming up with things now and again that they've they've seen but can't necessarily yeah. back but it doesn't tend to be so far away from the grain that it's like holy yeah. shit this is like crazy yeah. new stuff yeah um, yeah, yeah i mean it's usually not anything drastically different it's just like you know here's kind of all right well we're kind of agreement on this and this person kind of takes a tweak you know to this on a fine detail and this person does this little more fine detail and you know when you're getting extremely lean those type of things can potentially make a you know a, you know what i mean some difference when you're at these extremes but mm. you know at the heart of it you know i i think that even you know, we're, we're in agreement, you know what I mean? A lot of us are, in, I think, in agreement on a lot of things. And a lot of the differences in opinions are, are a lot of times just smaller details beyond, you know, the the big things. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Agreed, Peter. So cool. Um, I think I have come to the, the end of my questions. I, I think this has been a superb resource for for, for people that are looking out to sort of set up their own contest prep and, and provide themselves, like we said at the start, with, with the best possible situation for, for muscle retention. So finally, Peter, just basically leave the audience with um, uh, anywhere that they can follow you or continue to follow your progression as both a coach and an athlete um, and uh, where where perhaps you are sort of most active online also. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few places. So, I mean, you, if you want to see, you know, I link all of my articles, all of my, you know, client testimonials, pictures, things like that. You can check out my website, which is fitbodyphysique.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram at fitbodyphysique. Uh, you can eat my emails, fitbodyphysique at gmail.com. Um, I would say Facebook and Instagram, probably the social media I'm, I'm most active on, but um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm on email all the time too. That's how I interact with all of my clients. So, um, yeah, you know, feel free to shoot me an email. Are um, you on Instagram stories yet, Peter? No, I haven't made any stories yet. I haven't gone to that, to that. Cliff, I, I, it was a long Cliff time. has been forced into doing it and he's trying. He's well, done like, I think he's done like two at the moment. Yeah. It's getting, it's yeah. getting more popular. It's a great way to I interact. Know. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, you know, I, I'm terrible at all the 
social, you know, social media stuff. I, I, uh, you know, if, if I have time, I'm going to like write an article and you know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, cause everyone has their own way of getting out there, you know, plays and it your, might play to your strengths. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just, you know, if I have, if I have some extra time or I have something I want to write about, uh, you know, once in a while I'll throw up a Facebook post or I, I try to post something on Instagram most days, but, yeah, sure. um, you know, or, or I'll do, but a lot of times I'll just, you know, write up an article or something, you know, I'll, and, and, you know, and I link those on all my social media. And, and like I said, I have pretty much all of my articles, either peer reviewed or otherwise linked Amazing. on my website. Um, yeah, which is crazy because I think I'm up to somewhere close to 60 or more articles I think I've written over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, just not just for random fitness websites and things, you know, various websites. Yeah, incredible. Well, guys, I'll make sure to link up all of um, Peter's socials and obviously his his website as well, which will be a great resource for you guys to go and check out more of Peter's work. Um, but yeah, I'd like to obviously thank the listeners for, for tuning into this episode. And um, thank you, Peter, for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, it's, it's been awesome to have you on. And uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll come back with another episode, another topic. Um, but, but yeah, today's been awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool, guys. Um, thanks very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you back for episode 39. Cheers.